Lord God, we thank you for the gift this evening and for this time together and for all that you're teaching us. And Lord, it is a challenging time, not only to share your gospel, but to be mindful of the climate, the culture, into what we're, into what we're sharing. And Lord, for the people that have some ideas and, and preconceived thoughts that many are not even aware of. Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to be prepared, to be prayerful and mindful as we seek to share the gospel with those around us. Lord, send your spirit now to be our teacher, our instructor, and guide us during this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about the narratives. And what I mean by the narratives, it was actually the last two weeks, we talked about the pre-Christian narratives, and then they became the Christian narratives with the Christian worldview. And then we moved into the post-Christian or the modern or even post-modern mindset, the narratives of how things have changed, about the identity of the self and how we deal with emotions and, and how we look at history. Those are just some of the narratives that uh, have changed over the centuries, literally. And I ended on this idea of where we are now for many people, and I would include Christians in that too, is this whole notion and idea of that we are our own master. Even though we call Jesus Lord, let alone the people who have no idea who God is or who Jesus is, that we are the ones who call the shots for our lives, and we should call the shots for our lives. Culture has changed quickly. And this new idea that's crept in, it's called the sovereign self. The sovereign self. Think about that term just for a minute. The sovereign self. I am the Lord of my life. No one has any right to tell me what to do. In many ways, you will hear that in the culture today, one way or another. No one has the right to tell anybody else what to think or what to do. It's the sovereign self. Um, <clears throat> Tim Keller actually has been using that term, but he based it on a sociologist, uh, Robert Bella, who called the expressive individualism. That is to say that I am here as an individual to express myself. And you, ha you have no right to tell me how I should be, what I should think, how I should act, because I'm here to express myself. So this whole notion of the sovereign self, it's a byproduct of the modern times, and part of what has enabled this, beyond what we talked about already with the different mindset, is we have incredible capacity to communicate and travel. And because we have this tremendous capability to communicate and travel, to have media feed into our lives, to have other people feed into our lives via the internet, and this tremendous ability to communicate, and we have this tremendous ability to live wherever we want because of transportation, go wherever we want, we can create or recreate ourselves because of these communication tools and these transportation tools. Think about it just for a moment. You know, 
without the family around, the social structure around, the people that I grew up with, the people that know me, you're not locked in by anything. There's no accountability. There's no support system. So I can do whatever I want because people don't know me. I can portray myself however I want on the internet, in social media. No one's going to know that it's not true. I remember warning my children about that years before they started talking about it. Predators and stalking and all of that through the internet. How people can say whatever they want about themselves because of the restraints have been thrown off. You know, think about how you may know some people who portray themselves one way and are different in person. Think about when you have nobody watching you and you can put down whatever you want on Facebook about who you are. Who knows you? Maybe some people. What if you're trying to connect with someone across the country? What if you're in a dating service? Oh. You can put down almost whatever you want. And there's not necessarily necessarily any knowledge about you. There's the freedom of restraint and accountability. You follow your feelings and desires and not only follow them, not only explore them, but now today you enthrone them. I follow my feelings because my feelings represent who I am. They define me. Um, and you will frequently hear, by the way, there is no right or wrong. There's your opinion and my opinion. There's your way and your belief system. There's my way and my belief system. There is no right or wrong. It's just different beliefs and styles. And even people who say things like that, sometimes they will have clear contradictions because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's how I feel right now. Even if they have clear contradictions, it doesn't matter. There's no consistency. Uh, let me give you an example of how you may not have consistency in our world today and how feelings will conflict with each other and then how do people deal with conflicted emotions and feelings when there is no objective right or wrong, when there's no social constraints, when there's no one telling you because you have your own feelings. And how do you deal with those conflicted feelings? Let me give you an example. And we deal with this in our culture, by the way, all the time whether you recognize it or not. Video games. Video games that are filled with violence all the time. Gratuitous violence. You know, and sometimes the people that are playing these games, games get so wrapped up in it, they just have this desire to kill. Now, a lot of times they express it in the video games because it gives them an outlet to do that. But when you get out in public, you can't do that. But if someone makes you really angry, you feel like doing that, don't you? You do it in the video game because it's okay. So how do you draw that line when it's not okay? Not everybody has those filters. That's a problem. That's a problem. But video games don't affect anybody, do they? TV doesn't affect anybody, does it? 
doesn't really give you ideas to do some of the things that you do, does it? It's really, really fascinating how we play games with those kind of things. Those feelings that people have in video games sometimes sneak out in public and they have to be able to restrain themselves even though in the video games they don't restrain themselves. Very, very interesting dynamic going on there. And sometimes they do get angry enough in the outside world to kill. Road rage, going postal, we have names for that stuff. We really do. And it's amazing how people really do live into that. You know, people want freedom, but what they don't realize is that freedom really comes with giving yourself up to the Lord. That's the interesting thing. That's the irony of the Christian faith, that true freedom is found when you give yourself up to the Lord, and they don't realize that. What the sovereign self wants is freedom from all constraints. They want personal choice. Personal choice is the number one value. Personal choice is the number one value. Um, but the problem is, is that every, if everyone had personal choice, think about it just for a second. If everyone had personal choice about everything they wanted to do and be, what would you have in the world? Chaos. Chaos, anarchy, anything goes. Forget about laws, even though we're going to get to this in a little bit. One of the words that you will hear a lot, of, a lot of times out of people who really believe in the sovereign self is they want justice. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Social justice. Now, let me give you an example of the inconsistencies in our culture when it comes to freedom. My personal freedom. I want to be able to do what I do with my own self if it doesn't affect anybody else. And how people justify and rationalize that. Pornography. Pornography I can view in the privacy of my own home. I'm not hurting anyone when I do it. Therefore, what's wrong with it? You're hurting yourself. You're not only hurting yourself. Think about the ramifications. Think about the multi-layered ramifications of pornography. The people that are making the pornography. What's happening to them? The people that are making money off of the pornography. What's happening to them? The number one use of the internet. The time. The energy. The resources. The waste. Besides the fact that it's causing you to become dehumanized. That unrecognized, un, unrecognized by you, you're going to start treating people differently and viewing people differently when you view pornography on a regular basis. <clears throat> you talk to people who have been addicted to porn, and there's a hardness, there's a black hole, there's an emptiness about them. It's very dehumanizing. And a lot of people who view pornography lose the ability to have true intimacy. Because there's a game that they play with themselves about understanding what real relationships are about. They go off into a fantasy world a lot, in their minds, in their hearts, sexually. Pornography is so destructive, 
so destructive in so many ways. Let's talk about child pornography. That doesn't hurt anybody, does it? You kidding me? I mean, again, we could take this in a lot of different directions and just say, what doesn't hurt people in the world of pornography? Everything about pornography hurts everybody involved, whether they recognize it or not. And yet, people want freedom to do what they want in the privacy of their own home. And it's, quote unquote, not hurting anybody. That's the mindset. That's the mindset. That's the twisted thinking of the sovereign self. You need to understand that's what we're talking about here. That's the twisted thinking of the, the sovereign self. The ramifications are huge. And people don't recognize it. When we're free to choose, we often choose wrongly unless we're really looking for the Lord's hand in it. And sometimes, let me throw something else out there. Sometimes, if we're really not looking for the Lord, but we want to do good things, let me give you an example. If we are not trying to serve the Lord, if we're really not seeking out Him to love Him and love others, we can be helping the poor. Why? Because it makes me feel good. May have nothing to do with because I love people. But it makes me feel better about me. Wrong reason. Wrong reason. Because what happens when it no longer makes you feel good about you? I'm out of here. You get burnt too many times. Because, uh, let me tell you what. It's hard to continually serve people constantly. They can wear you out. And whose strength are you drawing on? It's nice to do short term. And people do things like that to feel good about themselves. See, it's not really God-driven, God-centered a lot of times. It's me-centered. I do this because it makes me feel good. There's a guy by the name of Luke Ferry. He's a secular journalist. This is really, really fascinating. And he's an atheist. Now listen to what he said. This is most fascinating to me. And this is an honest statement. I appreciate his honesty in this. He was reflecting honestly about himself. You know, as a journalist, I've sometimes been tempted to write a book. And I would love to write a great book. However, what's the point? Because what's the point? Because after I die, I get no pleasure out of it. And after... A few years, no one's going to read it. So what's the difference if I write this great book or not? It makes no difference, ultimately. Why write it? That's an honest statement from an atheist. It's a sad statement. Instead of saying something like, God has given me this gift... I want to express my gift to bless other people. I want to lift people up. Who knows what the Lord's going to do with this? But He's made me to write. And I want to enrich other lives. I want to use my God-given gift. 
to glorify Him and to lift other people up. Instead of, what's the point? I'm going to be dead in a short while and everybody's going to forget about me and they're going to stop reading my book anyway. Where, who's that centered on? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? He's honest. I appreciate that about him. But it really catches you off guard when you hear things like that. It really does. Let's talk about love for a second. Now, if someone really lives into this whole sovereign self thing, where I'm here to please me, I'm here to do my thing, I'm here to follow my feelings, this is about me and my pleasure and my fulfillment. What happens when you fall in love? Well, that person's going to make me happy for a while. But what happens later? I'm not going to change for them. I'm not going to change for anybody. I'm who I am. Really? You know, number one, we all change. Just ask Mary if I've changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gave my beard. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that when someone gets to the point of saying, I love you, what are they saying from our perspective? It's now I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Now I'm willing to give for you. Now I'm willing to serve you. This is not all about my happiness, my fulfillment, my thing, my pleasure, my feelings. We're in this together. Interesting. How's that work? That's why you will hear over and over again, couples say, I, they don't make me happy anymore. He doesn't make me happy. She doesn't make me happy. Because really what they're talking about is the sovereign self. They're blaming the other person. Or they've changed. Hey, Bonehead, you did too. Everybody changes. You know, it's very, very interesting. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, kind, love is not jealous or boastful. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not rude. Boy, it's going to make a lot of sovereign self people really unhappy. Look at Romans 6 through 8. Should we sin so grace abounds? That's how Romans 6 starts. And Romans 7 talks about this battle that goes on between flesh and spirit. And then wretched man that I am. And then Romans 8 talks about, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, not mine. And when we're serving Him, we're going to experience all kinds of struggle and pain and suffering. But nothing can separate us from His love. You know... If someone thinks, if they really live into the sovereign self idea, 
that they understand love, they're in for a rude awakening. Because they don't understand love, first of all, because love comes from God because God is love. He's the one that dictates what love is. And when they say they love someone, oftentimes what they're really saying is, you really make me feel good. For now. <laughs> and love is so much more than that. If you really understand love. And that's the problem. This sovereign self collides with godly living, with following Christ, collides with it. There's a disconnect there. And you know, the unfortunate thing is, Satan is full of lies. You know, oh, we'll be happy for the rest of our lives. You know, we don't need God. We just need each other. Well, it works occasionally, but a lot of times it doesn't. If I follow my feelings, I have dig dignity and worth. No. If you follow the Lord, you have dignity and worth. Oftentimes, if you follow your feelings, you're going to run yourself down. And chances are, if you try to live in a marriage with someone, one or both of you are going to get run down in your dignity and your worth. We see it all the time. There's a disconnect. I mentioned this before, I'm going to mention it again. Most uh, late postmoderns prefer the term justice as opposed to morality. And they do feel themselves to be strong moral people. But the problem is, is that justice, the term justice, assumes an objective system, an objective worldview, objective right and wrong, something that everyone can see and agree on. And in a sovereign self-world, that doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And oftentimes does change based on my feelings. There's a sense that moral behavior is possible without God. And sometimes it's true. But the motivation oftentimes is skewed. Sometimes it's self-centered. Sometimes it's obligatory. But the whole notion of right and wrong, just and unjust, in many ways, a, a sovereign self-world, long-term, it's a myth. Let me tell you who said that. The first person that really had the idea of the sovereign self was a guy by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. He called it Superman. I don't know how many of you read Nietzsche. He was, a, he was an atheist philosopher, an existentialist atheist philosopher. And he said, moral right and wrong is a myth. Isn't that interesting? He was honest. See, I appreciate honest atheists. <laughs> I really do. He was honest. Because what he realized is, 
if there is no God, and we are all there is, and this world is a material world, it's the strong person that wins. Superman. That's the one that gets their way. The majority wins or the strong person wins. That's the way it works. And they will dictate right or wrong until they get unseated. So there is no objective, universal, right and wrong. And that's what we're seeing over and over again. How many laws have been changed over the last 50 years that we thought were normal morality laws? Interesting. Just interesting to think about. <coughs> Technology, as I mentioned, um, has changed that as well. And I already mentioned pornography and video games. Let me tell you another wonderful use that's going on. Human trafficking. Human trafficking. You know, again, because of the wonderful world in which we live. You know, we talk about how awful slavery is. What do you think human trafficking is? It is slavery in a different way. And it is alive and well in our day. So have we progressed that well? As his whole notion of following your feelings and doing what you want. You know what human trafficking is about? It's about helping people to follow their feelings and do what they want. That's what it is. That's why human trafficking is on the rise. So given this world that I'm telling you about, <coughs> one of the new people groups out there, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, are called the nuns. And that's not N-U-N-S. That's N-O-N-E-S. The nuns. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the supernatural. They don't really believe in much of anything. Because they're not sure what to believe. All they want is a full and happy life for themselves. All they want is to decide for themselves. You know, and they think, by the way, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, they think religion is evil. All religion is evil. Religion's got us into the problems that we're in today. Now, I find that most fascinating because who probably has exterminated the most human beings? Stalin? Mao? Hitler? Godless people? Why do they always want to blame it on religion has caused the problems? Why is that? It's easy and it makes them feel good. But it's not reality. I think religion, that is, faith-based belief, has caused problems down through the centuries. I'm not denying that it hasn't. I think that Christians have made mistakes. I think that they've made mistakes on several different fronts down through the centuries. We have too, all of us. But they want to blame all the atrocities that have happened, all the evil in the world, on religion. 
If we can just get rid of religion and belief in God, everything will be good. Because once again, what do you rely on? Progress, nature, and human ability. That's what you rely on. Our ability to think and figure it out. Progress in nature. Once we get all those working in sync, we'll just be fine. But that's not reality. It's fake news. It's fake news. Yeah. Well, I mean, is our world getting better? I think it will. I'm not sure of that. Not until Jesus comes. I think it will get better when Jesus comes. Do you meet any, I mean, talking about the nuns, and this is all that atheist and what you're talking about, but you met people that this is kind of their mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And my son is in that world, Aaron. Yeah, he, he likes to, you can ask Aaron, he loves to mix it up. He loves to say, Dad, what about this? What about this? My friends say this, all that kind of stuff. He loves to mix it up with me. <coughs> because he's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure out how to dialogue with him, how to define his beliefs in a world like that. And let me tell you the biggest problem that we still face today, and I just kind of did a spin on that just a second ago, it's the problem of evil. The problem of evil has been a perennial problem and challenge to Christianity and to faith. The fact that there's evil in the world. The fact that Christians still do evil. Because the argument goes something like this. If God is perfect, He's good, and he's all-powerful. Why is there evil in the world? Or, if you believe in Jesus and you follow Jesus, why do you still sin? You know, those kind of arguments get thrown in your face when you're out in the world dealing with this stuff. And, and it's really, really helpful, and we'll talk about this a little next week, is to talk about, look, The reason there's evil in the world is because God has given us free will. Because otherwise we would all be puppets. And when we choose contrary to God's will, the byproduct is evil. And we have to remember that. That God has given us choice. He's given us free will. He doesn't want puppets. And secondly, once Christians do choose Christ, guess what? They still have free will and they're not perfect. Once you become a Christian... That doesn't make you perfect. It makes you forgiven. And that's the kind of talk that we need to be able to say. It doesn't make you perfect. We live in an imperfect world because it's a fallen world. Everyone is flawed. Everyone sins, including me. Including you. But is Christianity the only religion that uh, that, uh, that you can be forgiven? No. Judaism. Judaism you can be forgiven. Islam, it's a works righteousness, so you just have to make sure you do enough good works. Do more. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of times, the the Muslim who's about to do uh, suicide bombing or something like that, will go off the deep end and sin. You know, do all kinds of partying and stuff like that. 
because they know they're about to go to heaven because when you die for the cause, you automatically go to heaven. <coughs> so they know they're going to be forgiven. What's that? Mormons. Yeah. Yeah, works righteousness. So yes, other religions do believe in But you know, one of the other things that I think is really, really important when you're talking to people about, about our faith is that God is not aloof from suffering. He's not aloof. He's not removed. That's why he sent his son into the world. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross for our sin. So we have a God who suffers with us, who suffered for us. So when you talk about the suffering and the pain in the world, God's very familiar with that. Because he did it for you. Hold on, John. I should have done this with Johnny, too. Rewind. Yeah, rewind. Johnny, we're going to have to do that. Do your thing again. Yes, Lance. Sorry. Last week in our refrain group, uh, we did section two. And it really hit me. There was a very simple question asked, who am I? But yet I thought, it is such a deep question and potentially frightening for people that are in this sovereign self. But I'm sure they don't realize it. Or, uh, or they don't care. They have suspended the answer. It doesn't matter who I am. I am the sum of my thoughts and feelings, period. That's what I am. I'm the sum of my thoughts and feelings. And so, there, since there is no afterlife, this is who I am. You know, we talked, Meredith and I talked to this girl at the restaurant, I think I shared this recently, uh, maybe two weeks ago, that we were engaged with in a restaurant. And, and she didn't even go there with the afterlife. We started talking about, well, what do you think about, you know, eternity and eternal life? And she says, oh, I don't think about it. She just doesn't think about it. So there's no suggestion of permanence or stability, long-term stability, or... Well, what, what, people, what people like her, I think, believe, because she was raised in a Christian home, is that either God is going to let everybody in, or maybe he just doesn't exist, but I'm not going to bother with trying to figure it out, because I don't want to live that way. Yes, bingo. You live in and for the moment. That's exactly right. That gets back to my feelings, my thoughts, my thinking, my beliefs, bottom line. So if God's all good, you know, and he's all love, he's going to let me in. And if he doesn't exist, I'm not losing anything. But other than that, I'm just not going to bother thinking about it. It's a sad, it's a sad way to think, but it's where a lot of people are. Well, you know, they called me. Hold it. <laughs> I blew it once tonight. I'm not going to blow it again. <laughs> And there's a word for it, and the word is 
called being present. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of ironic that we're never in the presence of God or in the presence of anything else. We're just we're just present. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to live in the present. Yeah. Yeah. Don't think about it. Yeah. And I'm present. I'm, I'm present. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm involved in what's going on right now. Not, this is what's going on around me. Yeah. Gets back to all about me and what I'm in. Yeah. Okay, my question is the people that say they believe, but also have a lot of those nuns, sort of. Like they they believe that they are free to do whatever they want because they're forgiven, and then they also, in the same sentence, say, "Well, why is it all on my shoulders?" Well, there's a lot of people that want to live like for all purposes, broken sticks. You know, once I receive Christ, then I'm free to do what I want. You know, because grace abounds. You know, uh, and. Uh, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he refers to cheap grace. And a lot of people want cheap grace. You know, and, and it's a sad commentary on where a lot of Christians are, but it's, it's how the world has infiltrated that heart, that mind, is that I should be able to live as I want. That's the sovereign self. And yet at the same time, have my salvation. Believe in Jesus, my fire insurance. You know? And so they're living in two worlds. That's what they're doing. And it doesn't work that way. A lot of people live it, this doesn't work that way. How do we confront them? All you can do is confront them and lay it before them and allow the Holy Spirit and pray for them. Allow the Holy Spirit room to, you know, deal with them. Because you will never convince them. And there's one other person that can convince someone like that. And that's someone they respect. And see, the problem today, the problem today, is that there's very few people the sovereign self respects. You know, it used to be that we respected our parents, and we respected someone in authority, and we respected an expert, and we would be willing to listen to. The problem today, like I would tell people who come in my office and say, I can't get my husband, my wife, whatever, to listen to me. How can I possibly? And I said, if they won't listen to you, they've probably lost respect for you. You need to find someone that they respect. And I will often hear, I don't know who that would be. That is a sad commentary. And the people that they would respect wouldn't necessarily have moral fortitude to... Possibly. Possibly. Interestingly enough, if they claim to be Christian and they're backsliding Christians, it sometimes is another Christian or a pastor. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough. Did you have something? No. So, yeah, you're right. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it is more difficult to find someone that they respect enough to listen to. One of the ways that people are getting around it today is, you know, interventions. You know, sometimes people won't listen to one, but they'll listen to every family member and every friend gathered together for an intervention. You know, if you're confronting an alcoholic or a drug addict, 
you know, an intervention has the power of many as opposed to just one. So that sometimes works. Joe? Someone? Oh. You know, I, I am, and we're talking about history in every generation. I'm sure every generation says what I'm getting ready to say, which is, but it seems so bad right now. Yeah. Was it always as bad? Was there always so much evil? Was the fight so hard? I mean, well, well, I think we're saying we're difficult today. In terms of our ability to share the gospel and why we need to reorient ourselves is we live in a day and age where people think they know what Christianity is and they've rejected it. Okay? Instead of, I love when I run into people, like I have someone in the new members class right now, you know who it is, who says, I wasn't raised in this, I don't, and, and she's just so inquisitive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She is so inquisitive, it's great. Because she's hungry. You know, but people who have the attitude, I know what Christianity is. It's, it's, you know, it's like any other religion or it doesn't matter. But for someone who's just starting to come to faith and starting to hunger, there's an openness there to Christ and an openness there to the Holy Spirit, to the Word, and they want to know See, the difference today in our culture, that's why it's called a post-Christian culture, is many people are close to it. Because either faith has failed them, faith has failed the culture, faith has failed in their family. You know, maybe their parents are divorced, or wherever faith has failed, they weren't taught it in school, or they were taught that it's wrong, because, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. But we live in a post-Christian culture where people been there, done that with Christianity, as opposed to the, the Greco-Roman world, where it was been there, done that with gods and emperors, and they were hungry for something like that. So even though I think the Roman Empire was just as bad as it is today, it's a little different world to witness into and share the gospel into. That's one of the reasons why it's a little more challenging today. But I don't think today, to be honest with you, is any worse than the Roman Empire. You know, I really don't. In that regard, that was a pretty brutal society in many ways. Um, why don't we wrap it up there? I think that's a good time to end. Can I ask you one quick question? I guess, John. Especially since I didn't let you use the mic before. What do you do when a couple comes to you and wants you to marry them? And you say, well, you have to go through premarital counseling with you. And, and you find out one is not a Christian. And, and, and Christ really, and, and you, what do you say to them and what do they come back to? Well, see, we don't even begin the premarital counseling until I talk to them about that. Uh-huh. You know, like I say to them, let me tell you what I expect if we're going to do premarital counseling together. Which is that you two are committed Christians, that you're going to be attending a church, and that you're going to go through all the premarital counseling together because this is a Christian marriage and I'm presuming to marry two Christians to each other and you're saying vows that we're going to have a Christian marriage. You can't do that unless you're practicing Christians. So let's talk about that first. That's how I begin premarital counseling. Begin before we get involved in it. What is the Christian comment now? 
Well, that will come out in the counseling. That will come out in the counseling. And you know what? I also tell people my counseling is as good as your honesty. I like that, don't you? I made that one up myself. Anyway, let's close with prayer. Lord God, thank you for the gift of this evening and this time together. We pray that you would continue to teach us and guide us through your word and give us a desire and confidence and boldness by your spirit to be your witnesses and to share your gospel amidst a sometimes hostile world, sometimes world that just doesn't know, doesn't even know what they believe or why. But give us that boldness, that confidence, and give us that love to be willing to reach out for the sake of your kingdom. Bless us and keep us until we gather again in your name, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.